0: Listening to Nearly Numinous, a podcast all about the religious side of life. Every week we chat about different religions, spiritualities, and other beliefs. We do roundtable discussions, deep dives into histories and religious studies theories, and interview different religious leaders or practitioners. For full transcripts and more information on each episode, you can find us at nearlynuminous.ca. Welcome to this week's episode of Nearly Numinous. Sorry we took a few weeks off, folks. Uh, We were all very busy. (laughs) But today we're going to talk about religious experience uh, from the perspective of three different areas that have to do with consciousness. So we're going to look at these three different understandings, uh, which are fairly intertwined, but also a little bit separate. And don't worry, we'll get into it. And uh, We're going to talk about how we kind of use these to understand and study religious experience and then we're going to talk about how religious experience is often branded as being you know crazy or people are being weird and out of their mind and things like that uh so uh, this was part of my master's research that i did um i specifically looked at ancient greek mystery cults uh like more specifically the cult of dionysus and uh, I looked at kind of how Christians used these understandings to kind of intercept how the cult was able to practice ritual and form group cohesion, Uh, and they kind of intercepted this and banned all these activities so that they could kind of become the more sane religion and take over the, and become the Christian empire, I guess to say. So uh a lot of what we're going to talk about today is going to be more through like christianity perspective um but as always if you have another perspective uh if you have something to add we'd love to hear it and you can just reach out to us on our website which is nearly and while you're there maybe uh listen to some more episodes leave some comments start a discussion have so, we gotten more okay.
1: comments from those weird uh porn sites
0: Oh yeah, we always get them. I haven't checked them Sometimes that I in go in and delete them, but I haven't checked in a little bit. That's probably good.
1: I'm also here by the way, but I don't know a lot about this <laughs> subject. So today is a, a Steph teaches Rachel episode.
0: It'll be fun. It'll
1: be fun. I'm I'll excited learn new to learn too, I'm
0: sure. Yeah. the three different areas of religious experience that we're going to talk about today all come from kind of the same, I call it like a tree of definitions. It's like a little family tree of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, It gets a little bit complicated because each thing is slightly different, but they all are kind of the same. So bear with me. Um, We'll go through each definition to kind of, and I'll try to point out like the differences in them. Um, so basically, like I said, it's a tree. So we're going to talk about altered states of consciousness as kind of like the top of the tree or the roots of the tree. That would make more sense. The roots of the tree The, roots of the is tree. altered okay. states of consciousness. There we go. Because then from the roots, it grows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense.
1: Because
0: um, I was thinking of like a flow chart where you'd have something at the top that goes down, but for a tree, that doesn't make sense. You needed the roots to grow up.
1: Yeah. Okay. Got
0: it. <laughs> Okay, we figured it out. <laughs> I'm writing notes. Uh, so <laughs> altered states of consciousness are the roots. Um, I will often refer to them as ASCs uh, because saying altered states of consciousness would be a tongue twister throughout the whole episode. So then we're going to talk about mysticism as well and mystical consciousness is kind of going to be the same thing. Um, and then we're going to also talk about trance which is a kind of different branch of the tree, which is somewhat tied to mystical consciousness, but also not. And it's also tied to alter states of consciousness, um, but it's a little bit more nuanced than ASCs on their own. All right. So uh, most of this is going to be fairly tied to religion just in our discussion, but it's also important to know that the kind of idea of ASCs are not specific to religion so when you get into more like mystical consciousness that is very religious trance typically religious altered states of consciousness consciousness can be anything that we're going to talk about today but you can also see them in like mind altering drugs um people who do exercise like you've heard of the runner's high and things like that that can kind of be seen as an altered state of consciousness Um, and then as well things like if you've heard a lot of people talking about the flow state Um, I think we should do an episode on that because that's really cool as well. But um, the flow state is really popular in, like, entrepreneurial circles lately. I've been hearing it a lot with, like, be successful at your job. Get into a flow state. So that's also kind of technically an altered state of consciousness.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: How are you doing so far?
1: (laughs) I feel like I'm good. I've, like, I've heard some of these bits from both religious studies and psychology. So... I think I'm I've got a good uh foundation in the topic, so I've I'm I'm good so far.
0: Okay, good. Tell me if I am saying something incorrect. Hopefully not, <laughs> because I did submit this as like my master's like thesis more <laughs> or less. So if something's completely wrong, then that's not good. But all right, we'll get there.
1: Oh well, it's done. Um
0: it's done. I they gave me the degree, they can't take it back now.
1: Exactly. They passed you. It's okay. I
0: hope. All right, so uh, to start off, we're going to just talk about altered states of consciousness slash ASCs in general. Um, Almost everything I'm going to say here will apply to the next two subjects, but like I said, altered states of consciousness is more of a broad term that can encompass far more, and then we'll get more narrow. So um, I used the definition from psychologist Erica Bourguignon, uh, because she's gave a really good kind of fairly rounded definition saying that altered states of consciousness are conditions in which sensations, perceptions, cognition, and emotions are altered. They are characterized by changes in sensing, perceiving, thinking, and feeling, and they modify the relation of the individual to to self, body, sense of identity, and the environment of time, space, and the other, which is like a super broad definition, (laughs) um and I feel like it's a little confusing I don't know should I break it down a little bit more because I don't know how to like make that sound less confusing other than just like when you feel like you're not 100% there that can be an altered state of consciousness yeah I
1: think the thing that really helped me understand like what an altered state of consciousness is like um like, the runner's high, I've experienced that. And I wouldn't have thought of that as an altered state of consciousness. But, I mean, it kind of is. Like, you transition into a different way of uh, understanding your body and how you're acting and reacting to your environment and your feelings, your relationship with your body and your mind changes. So, you feel less pain. You feel, like, um, you can continue running further than you were a moment ago. Um, so, I guess that, you know, it is an altered state of consciousness. It's just not something you might see, like, you might think of as an altered state of consci- consciousness. Like, if somebody, you know, took like an acid trip or something, it's, you know, they, I guess they'd technically be yeah. in the same category. But running high and things. acid
0: trips are the same thing. Exactly. That's what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. So I should stop running and just start <laughs> yeah. <playing> excessive drugs. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Or like, you know, run okay, high.
0: Gotcha. Thanks for the advice. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I think um that's a good example of kind of, though, too, that altered states of consciousness is such a broad topic and it can encompass so many different things. So that's why it's also hard to just like look at a religious experience and be like, yes, altered state. Like that's why people have come up with more specific definitions like mystical experience or trance. And then they come up with kind of more specific definitions of like what that looks like and why that's a little different than like an ASC. Mm -hmm. So I think as well, um, something that... I think Bourguignon also talked about, um, but I really emphasized in my research is that um, because I worked with kind of a, a lot of my work was with ethnomusicologists um, who also can very often be quite colonialist in their research. Um, and Altered States is kind of the same way, in where every single culture is different in how they understand consciousness, um, especially like when you come into like religious traditions, for example so trying to understand um an asc across culture and provide it with some kind of like blanket definition is also really hard because it's it's like it's like trying to define religion yeah (laughs) like it's, it's different for everybody and some people would have kind of different understandings of it as well like i even i showed my boyfriend my thesis i think he got through like two pages of it before he got bored but like even (laughs) he was like i don't think that's what altered states of consciousness is and i'm like okay well you're in med school obviously like your understanding of it's going to be very different than like mine when i'm studying like sociology of religion Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah like that's also important is it like you know some people wouldn't consider runners high an altered state of consciousness at all So, you know. It's a good point. Don't you love studying religion? It's like, here's a topic, and this is why it's not also that at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good luck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Go out there.
0: Yeah. Um, But one thing that I found really interesting that seems to be kind of like a cross-cultural element that's been pinpointed with altered states of consciousness is that Um, at least when it pertains to, like, religious experience, Um, there seems to be a significant link between groups of people experiencing ASCs that ignites some form of, like, social cohesion or inspires social change. Mm. Um, So, again, that's also a very vague term as well because, like, what is social cohesion? What is social change? Um, But there does seem to be a link that when there is a large group that experiences an ASC together in a group format it does tend to lead to some form of social change so that is very interesting to me anyway (laughs) the next thing we're going to talk about is mystical consciousness or mysticism um this is when you do not really hear mysticism in relation to anything outside of religion at least i don't maybe you have but
1: i don't think so no
0: yeah, I think like mystical consciousness and mysticism is inherently a very religious thing because it does kind of require some sort of like, I mean, you think mystical, you think like fairy tale and magic and like those like it's mythology, um, yeah. which is a religious thing. Right. Um, So uh, the term mystical consciousness is a term, Um, I think, I don't know if it was coined by William James or if he was just the one that did the most amount of research on it. Um, but he was around in like the early 20th century. Um, I really like his stuff. I don't know why I like his stuff so much, but, um, I found his idea of like mystical consciousness and mysticism really interesting, especially when it came more later into like trance. Um, but it encompasses like mystical experiences is still encompasses a lot more than trance does. Um, and that's why I'm kind of talking about it as like a bit of a separate thing as well. Um, but we'll get more into, like, the differences in a second. Um, James applies the term mystical to experiences that include four distinct characteristics. The first is ineffability. So that is um, something that's incapable of being expressed in words. Um, so that's that idea of, like, you experience something and you're trying to tell someone about it. And you're like, well, it was like this. And you're like, kind of. I don't know. That's not, like, basically how I talk all the time. <laughs>
1: it's funny that it's funny that ineffability is effable ironic
0: (laughs) haha it was very ironic i guess you have to have a definition for the word though
1: what's a word that is hold on is there any word that is actually ineffable wait numinous no but i guess the top maybe Numinous?
0: You could still define numinous.
1: Yeah, numinous itself is effable, but what it's describing is Religion ineffable. is ineffable. Religion you is ineffable. You can't define religion. <laughs> anyway, side <laughs> tangent, sorry.
0: Clearly, I have like a beef with not being able to define religion.
1: <laughs> I think everybody who studies religion does.
0: Well, I think it's just because like every single class we took started with how do you define religion? And like, okay, here was the thing. If you took a religious studies class in undergrad, 99% of the time you weren't a religious studies student. Mm -hmm. So like it was a one-off, you took it as an elective. So it was rare that you were one of the like, like at least in my undergrad graduating class, there was 20 of us. Mm -hmm. So that means only like 20 of us were the ones being like, you can't define religion everybody else was like oh it's this and you're like no Mm -mm. and so like every single class especially too like i would have like three or four religious studies classes in a semester so the first week was just me sitting there being like you can't define religion (laughs) Over and over again. And to the point where like, I think by the time I hit fourth year, I was like, do I seriously have to go to the first week of classes? I already get it. <laughs> I get that you can't define religion. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, then yeah, that's my beef. I so, have the same anyway, beef. that's ineffable. <laughs> so the second quality is for it to have a noetic quality. Um, this I had a little bit more of a hard time trying to understand, but basically it's something... Linked with having some sort of sense of revelation, uh, but it's inherently linked to like your intellect and your your mind. So it's like a mental revelation that you have. That's kind of what I got from understanding definitions of noetic quality. Mm -hmm. Then there's transiency, so it typically lasts a short time. So this is not like you wouldn't be in a mystical state for five years. You'd be in a mystical state for like an hour. Um, and then passivity, which is an acceptance of what happens without active response or resistance.
1: Yeah. What does it mean by like acceptance?
0: I think it's kind of like, oh, I, like you uh, what what's happening um, to an extent, right? So like you're not actively understanding what's happening because it's passivity, but you're also not like fighting it. So I think it's the idea of, like, when you enter that mystical state, um, and same with, like, an altered state of consciousness in general, you're not aware enough to do anything about it, but you're also not against it.
1: Okay. So, like, generally when you dream, you're not, like, this is a dream, this is not happening, so you're not fighting it? Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, and I think dreams are a good example of, like, an altered state of consciousness as well, to an extent. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it, in psychology, probably would be something more specific, but, like, I think it falls under that category. Yeah, so, again, um, that's the basics of mysticism. It's, uh, it keeps its kind of definition very broad, again, so it can span, like, a variety of experiences, Um, but it still gives you kind of, like, an idea that it's pretty religious pretty religiously charged, a little bit more than altered states of consciousness, but it fits into that realm. Cool. How do we feel about mysticism?
1: I feel good about it. And I remember now that I took a class on it, but I remember absolutely nothing from it. So this is a good refresher.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that only goes to show too, that you can take a whole class just on mysticism. And I just summarized it in what, like three minutes. (laughs) So.
1: Right. I paid how much for that class? I could have just come to you
0: yeah i mean don't pay for a degree just listen to our podcast send us your money instead
1: that's what we're here for
0: <laughs> oh man we should have like a series where undergrad students can come and ask their dumb questions <gasps> except you're not allowed to ask what is religion <laughs>
1: oh <laughs> i don't know any undergrad students right now
0: me neither we're, we're old so out of touch next up what is trance So, all right, just to give you folks some background, trance is what I specifically studied in my, like, master's research. So I did a lot more work on this term specifically than I did on, like, altered states of consciousness and, um, like, mysticism. So I would say that trance can sometimes kind of be combined with mysticism, but not always. And, um, again, I'll get into that in a second. But the reason that I chose trance specifically is that I studied more in line with music and trance is usually directly linked with some sort of music and dance and movement um so that's why this word specifically is kind of what I'm defining um there's other forms of I think mystical consciousness um that would be far different so when you get into like meditation or just general ritual experience speaking in tongues like those kind of things that you hear about that's different. So basically um, with trans, I used quite a bit of the work done by Gilbert Rouget. Uh, he was a French ethnomusicologist. Um, and like I said, ethnomusicology does have a bit of a history of being um, a little colonialist. So like, just like any anthropological research that's been done, um, oftentimes they go into these communities and they're like, ah, yes, I am studying you. Um, but don't talk to me. yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna sit back and watch and make my assumptions. Um, so uh, basically, like I like to use Rouget as a really good um, definition. I didn't necessarily use a lot of his work um, that he did because he went in, like he did a lot of work with a Brazilian group um, as well as, I think it was sufi fees. Mm -hmm. um but anyway point being this was done in like the 1800s um when again he would just like walk in and be like i'm gonna watch you now (laughs) so there's that little disclaimer (laughs) um that being said again his definition and kind of his insights were pretty pretty good for kind of giving us a background um he also did a lot of work with um like what was written about the dionysian cults as well so That's kind of where I drew from more so than any of his other work. There's my little disclaimer. So anyway, (laughs) Rouget and his definition on trance. um, Basically, he defines this as being a specific state of consciousness in which there is a psychophysiological response to sensory overstimulation. So uh, this includes kind of movement and noise Um, And we'll get into the fact that this this is typically a form of religiously charged styles of music, um, which is experienced within a group setting and then often leaves the participant in a state of amnesia. Okay. All right. I feel like there's a lot of words there. So. A psychophysiological response is like. A brain body response. So like that's, you know, if if I come and scream at you, you're probably going to jump back and your brain's going to be like, fear. (laughs) That would be a psychophysiological response. (laughs) Um, So then when it comes to kind of trance, uh, some examples of that are like dancing to music um, and being in that kind of altered state of consciousness and like free flow. Um, If if you've ever heard of ecstatic dance, that's a really popular thing lately. Um, That would kind of be what I'm talking about here. uh, If you've ever seen that, um, it's definitely cool. If if you're curious, I suggest going to an ecstatic dance workshop because free form flowy dance is pretty fun. Um, sensory overstimulation is basically yeah, like a lot of things going on around you. So like music, dancing, loud noises, typically what you'd experience in like if you're at a you know EDM concert, mm-hmm. <laughs> for example. Um, So yeah, then when we get into kind of the noise aspect of it, um, like I said, this is typically with religiously charged styles of music. What gets complicated is that, again, you can't define what is religiously charged styles of music. Um, So basically what that means is it has to have meaning for you. So they've done research on the types of music people respond most to and they have trouble pinpointing like for example um if they say like classical music is calming that's a blanket statement that actually doesn't exist for everybody because what they end up finding is if you know you and I are sitting and we've we're hooked up to you know an fMRI machine whatever they're hooking us up to and they play classical music if I hate classical music I'm not going to be relaxed yeah because I don't like it. Like my personal taste is that I don't like it. That's not true. I love classical music. (laughs) But also on the other hand, like everyone says study to classical music. And I'm like, well, I can't because I love classical music. Mm -hmm. So you put on classical stuff and I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. And I get like too focused on that. Mm -hmm. So the same thing happens with religious music. So if you are an atheist and you're sitting in a church and they're singing hymns, you will not have a religious experience just because you're listening to hymns. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody who is Christian, that is religiously charged music for them. So they're going to have that response. Same with, you know, if someone who's Hindu walks into a Christian church, they won't have the same experience they will if they're in a Hindu temple and they there's Hindu chanting happening, you know? Like yeah. it, it kind of depends on like what you get a response from um so then that also happens as well with like in a non-religious situation um if i really like trance music get it trance trance music (laughs) i wonder where the name comes from now um (laughs) i'm gonna maybe like dance and enjoy myself but if you hate trance music and you go to a rock concert you might dance and enjoy yourself there you know it's like Mm -hmm. it all depends on like personal taste so that's, again, when it kind of gets complicated to study because it's highly individualized. But again, there's different, like, certain themes. So what I got into later on in my thesis, which I won't be talking about as much today, is, like, the different styles of music um, that people have, like, these stereotypical responses to. So, like, a hard-driving percussive beat will usually inspire people to dance and move because it's that, like, constant um, you know and there's different instruments as well that typically get certain responses out um that's why composers use certain instruments for certain things you know those kind of things but that is another conversation that I'd be happy to have just because we don't have time <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about music all day I can tell anyway moving on <laughs> <laughs> um so uh Rouget specifically uses the word trance. Um, There's a lot of other things that, and a lot of other terms that you'll see come up. Um, I think especially in my work when I was looking at ancient Greek cults, they use a lot of words like frenzy and mania and madness a lot. Um, So, and like ecstasy was another one, um the way Rouget kind of like spaces this out is that he says that trance is the one that's directly linked to music. The other ones are not linked to music. Um, again, that's his opinion. Um, oftentimes, like when you're reading, especially like when you're reading ancient Greek plays and stuff, for example, like the frenzied manids, um is a big thing in the Biquet, what he's referring or what Euripides is referring to when he says the frenzied maenads is what we would call trance here. So like, keep that in mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of definition really does fall within William James's definition of mystical experience, but there are some differences, like I said. So the first and most important thing is that mysticism is said to often include hallucinations. Um, Again, this isn't all the time, but it's frequently mysticism will include some form of hallucination. Um, And trance, according to Rouget's definition, does not include any hallucination whatsoever. Um, Again, I don't know if I believe this 100% because I think that you can have a mystical experience and not hear Jesus. um, And you can be in a trance-like state and see um, a butterfly morph into a building. So I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) but to get more specific as well, um, Rouget, from his anthropological work that he did, he was able to kind of find specific symptoms that usually occurred kind of cross culturally with people who are experiencing trance. And these symptoms included trembling, shuddering, horripilation. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? Horripilation.
1: No, I'm going to look that up. Hey, Siri, what's horripilation? Horripilation. Horripilation is a reflex erection of hairs of the skin in response to cold or emotional stress or skin irritation. So, goosebumps.
0: Okay, I don't know why I just didn't say goosebumps.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just say goosebumps, bro.
0: (laughs) Yeah, come on, bro. (laughs) Bro. Um, (laughs) But uh, swooning, the other symptoms, I'll keep going. Uh, Swooning, falling to the ground, yawning, lethargy, I said that super weird, <laughs> lethargy, <laughs> convulsions, foaming at the mouth, protruding eyes, large extrusions of the tongue, paralysis of a limb, thermal disturbances, insensitivity to pain, nervous tics, noisy breathing, fixed stare, and then he says, and so on. <laughs> it's like, nobody, like, what? what is it, though?
1: He just named, um, like... 10, 15 very specific things, and then he's like, (laughs) etc. It's
0: the typical academic. Yeah. And there's more things, but like, you know.
1: Yeah, you know. know.
0: You know. You get it. (laughs) Um, Maybe he goes more specifically into like his specific chapters on like each individual community he decided to define.
1: You know, if you've read read my books,
0: you know. So I'm going to start telling people, like, you know if you've listened to my podcast.
1: <laughs> you know if you've read my thesis.
0: <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um, aside from physical symptoms that were named, uh, there's also specific behavioral cues, such as the subject entering an altered state of consciousness, in which they appear to be fully consumed and unable to escape this state. Uh, and this then leaves them, because they're in this state, When they come out of it, it leaves them with full amnesia of the situation afterwards. Um, In William James's understandings of mysticism and trance, because he does talk a little bit about trance in his work, he found that when someone is returning from their trance-like state, they can often have no recollection of the experience. And ultimately, because of this, it then has no significant impact on their everyday life moving forward. Um, So this is kind of where it starts to get different than the idea of altered states of consciousness uh, and what Bourguignon was talking about. Um, according to William James. Mm -hmm. Again, I disagree. I disagree with William James. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like such an asshole saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this expert in the field, mm -hmm, he's wrong. He's wrong. Yes, because I think that the idea of, like, group identity and group cohesion is still very strong there. When you, like, go through this experience with other people, even if you don't remember and recall like what happened in it I think you still like leave that with like a new heightened awareness of like the people around you Mm
1: -hmm. especially
0: if you've gone through this like with people around you you're gonna be like yes you know it's cool (laughs) um like especially if like two weeks later you run into somebody at the the grocery store and you're like oh hey you were at that weird thing where we all foamed at the mouth and had goosebumps (laughs) um (laughs) good times So like, cool and they'd be like yeah cool let's not talk about it that's super embarrassing um you no know, just me <laughs> <laughs> so basically this idea of like this group cohesion though um that's not like a, a new thing me disagreeing with william james it's not revolutionary apparently uh because <laughs> basically what um emil durkheim we've talked about him a lot on this a lot show um He's great. I don't know. Like, I like his work. Um, But he talks a lot about this thing called collective effervescence. Um, And I don't know if you know much about it. Um, I only know, like, little tidbits because I ran out of time to read Durkheim. I was like, you know what? This is, like, kind of relevant to my thesis, so I'm going to, like, read a little bit of it. And then I was like, it's not relevant enough. I'm done. Time to move on. New book. So,
1: I've definitely heard the term, but I don't know a lot about it.
0: Okay, so then you can't call me out of being wrong. That's fine. (laughs) So basically the idea um, of collective effervescence is that these mystical experiences uh, are enhanced and amplified through social groups. So again, it's the idea that if you were to have this experience alone, um, it would only have so much meaning. It would only have so much impact. um, But then it has like a greater effect on you when you do experience it within a group setting. Um, So a super interesting example of this. And I think I've talked about it before is the firewalking ceremony that they've studied in Greece. Mm -hmm. um, I think like late 1900s, um, if I'm not mistaken. And basically what they saw is that when people were performing the ritual of walking over the hot coals in this group setting, it like amplified their ability to handle pain. And it, Also, there was, like, this weird thing that happened where all of their heart rates lined up. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is kind of an example of this collective effervescence. So, it's, like, this feeling, this, like, energy that, like, expands throughout the group that puts them in, like, a similar state. um, And that you wouldn't be able to experience just on your own. I'm actually curious. I don't know if they ended up, like, checking, like, testing if this was like any different if like somebody just came and did the firewalking ceremony by themselves. Because like, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So this idea of collective effervescence and group cohesion is also why, um, I'm very interested in music and altered states of consciousness uh, and like trance because music usually inspires some form of dancing. Um, not always. Some people are weird. But I don't know about you, music comes on and I'm like, yeah, do a little groove, Um, which is very unsafe sometimes (laughs) weird. I'm like in the mall and I'm like, yeah.
1: In the middle of the road, your favorite song comes on on the phone like, yeah, I got to break it down right now.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, So because of the way music interacts with us, it usually inspires like, some dancing um maybe some singing so like if if you've ever been at a concert and all of a sudden like the band plays their hit single you're all singing along and you know like I don't know about you maybe I'm just weird but like when I'm in that situation I'm like oh this is cool like everyone's singing and dancing along like you feel like you have some sort of like camaraderie with these people that you've never met yeah there's like 10,000 people in this concert and all of a sudden like you feel like you're best friends with all of them yeah because of the shared experience right and so like I think it's really interesting as well and this is I think what kind of sparked my interest in this subject is when you look at like music festivals people have like life-changing experiences at music festivals mm-hmm. and like people that get really into like EDM and stuff like that it's because of like this kind of feeling that they get it's so sometimes it's inspired by external factors <laughs> such as drugs <laughs> but you know it's still that altered state of consciousness you're experiencing it in a group setting you're moving you're dancing to music um, and you have this kind of trance like state mm-hmm. so this is why i'm super interested in it oh, okay that's my rant of definitions okay any questions
1: i think i, I think i'm pretty good this you you laid it out pretty well. So like altered states of consciousness is the roots, and then is like mis- mysticism, mystical consciousness, and trance. Those are like different branches. Yes. Okay.
0: But then you know it's like a vine. So like I'm changing my metaphor now. It's not a tree <laughs> anymore. It's a vine. But like trance and mystic. Mystical states also kind of, like, are a bit interwoven. Okay. Yeah. Like, they're not fully separate from one another, but they're not fully the same. Okay. I would also argue, um, I think that you can also enter a trance-like state and not have it be inherently religious, whereas I don't think you can enter a mystical state and have it be religious. Now, that is my opinion. And have it not be religious? That is a scientific fact. What did I say?
1: Have it be religious.
0: Mysticism, it's religious. Yeah. Okay. Trance, I think that it can be religious, but it also doesn't have to be religious. Mm -hmm. I think I said something wrong earlier, but that's what I mean. Yeah, I
1: got it. Yeah, that's the thing about like all these definitions. It's not like necessarily fact. They're just, it's all about the way you categorize and define things and every you know, scholar, every person has different reference points, uh, understands things differently. So it's, that's why often I think on the show, we work with certain scholars and certain definitions to bounce ideas off because, you know, things aren't facts in air quotes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, and it does make it really hard as well to study because like I said, um, you know, Rouget says that frenzy has nothing to do with trance. But then you go and read all these other things about people saying, like, wow, they were frenzied. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, but this time it is trance. Mm-hmm. So, like, how do you figure that out, right? Yeah. Um, or even, like, William James saying, like, this is mysticism. It's different than trance. And you're like, but that seems the same to me. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's... And that's why I think it's important. Like, that's why I spent so much time defining all these things, because it's like, at the end of the day, they all play a part in this, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah.
1: All right. Good. So I'm confusing.
0: good. All right. So I think now I want to talk about, like, examples of this. So um, I think just to, like, throw off some quick ones, and you can, like, throw some in as well. Um, spirit possession is a big one. And so when I say spirit possession, I'm talking about, uh, like the idea of like speaking in tongues specifically is like one example, like the biggest example of spirit possession in the Christian church. Mm -hmm. Um, you see that a lot in like more Pentecostal churches. You see a lot of it written in some of Paul's churches in the New Testament. Um, like the idea of glossolalia, speaking in tongues, um, that thing. That is a really interesting kind of altered state of consciousness. Um, not trance. It is not trance, though.
1: Okay. Well, because there yeah. is
0: no music or movement. Okay. So sometimes, though, you see, like, people will start speaking in tongues because of some sort of, like, they're singing, they're dancing, they're moving, and it's kind of brought on. Um, but I think that more often you hear about people speaking in tongues just, like separate from anything else so i would say that that's a mystical experience Mm -hmm. um i think that i don't would you consider that a form of like hallucination if you're speaking in tongues
1: i don't know like i would say hallucinations are more sensory than like your based on your actions so if you were yeah seeing or hearing something I don't, I think that would be more of a hallucination than speaking in tongues. But those could both be considered mystical.
0: Yeah, but like a spirit possession, would you say that that's a hallucination though? Because that's true. You feel overcome, but like it also is like a bit of like you're hearing something. I don't know. I've never experienced a spirit possession. Yeah, I've never been possessed
1: by a spirit, Um, so I'm not really sure what it's like. If you've ever been possessed by a spirit, email us.
0: Oh, yeah. If you speak in tongues uh, or have had another spirit possession, we really want to talk to you. (laughs) We have so many questions. We
1: have so many questions.
0: Yeah. All right. So that's one example. Um, Another example I had was using psychedelics or other recreational drugs. And this one is interesting because... I would argue that that is paired with all three of these in some form, like all three, like ASCs, mysticism, and trance mm-hmm. in some form. So hear me out. Okay. I think that psychedelics push you into a, an altered state of consciousness faster than any of these other experiences would on their own but i think where you go from that is then the difference so like some people when they do take um, psychedelics or psilocybins, any like mind-altering drug they have certain like mystical experiences some people have trance-like experiences because like you know we know like tons of people take these kind of drugs at music festivals To kind of enhance their experience there. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's almost like a pairing to all of these rather than kind of being one of its own thing.
1: Yeah. I can see that. I think – I forget which episode we talked about this in, but um, it might have been our last in the news episode where we were talking about –
0: Yeah, we talked about this a bit. Drugs.
1: Like, do you think – can we say a mystical experience isn't, you know, truly real if it was triggered by psychedelics? And I would say, like, no, you can't say that. Um, but I know that some people, I think some people would say, you know, if it's, if it's triggered by an external source, like psychedelics or psilocybins, like, you know, um, then it's not, you know, truly religious, truly mystical, it's biological. But then how would you mm-hmm. how do you tell the difference? How can you say a mystical experience, like a quote-unquote true one, isn't biological? Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and that's my question then too. And like for example, trance, I would say is brought on by an external factor. Because I think like music can shift around your brain chemistry in certain ways. Like, right? Like how Dopamines released, things like that. Mm-hmm. So if like you're trying to enhance that experience and it brings you into an altered state, is that any different than taking drugs? You know, like mm-hmm. I, I get that it, it is different, like it is different, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like from the perspective of like, is that an authentic mystical experience, you know? Mm hmm. Like, if you see Jesus on drugs, or if you see Jesus because you listened to a lot of music and danced around for a long time, like, is is one less authentic than the other?
1: Yeah. I guess it comes down to us not really being able to call something authentic versus not authentic. Especially because I don't no, think... we need to. <laughs> I think because, I mean, I have never experienced either a trans like state or, you know, a mystical experience, so I would not be able to say with any amount of authority whether one is more real than the other
0: yeah no that's fair okay so i'm curious though if you have any other just like quick examples of like altered states and we can maybe try to figure out if it's like a mystical experience or trance or something else
1: i'm really curious about like dreams and stuff because i know some people would say like they see spirits in dreams or they've you know uh you talk to you know dead loved ones um or like had i don't know weird experiences maybe spiritual experiences in a period between sleeping and waking that would be considered an altered state of consciousness could it also be considered like mystical
0: i would argue yes Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna pull from an example for this Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure when, you know, the Virgin Mary was pregnant with the baby Jesus, she was come to in a dream. Oh, yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, as well as, what is it, the story of Zacharias?
1: I don't know that one as well. He was come to in a
0: dream as well. Um, Had something to do with his babies. I don't remember. Uh, It's been a while since I've been in Sunday school. (laughs) that's a good point yeah so i think that i would say that it can be a mystical experience by and i think that we can say that by definition it can be a mystical experience it's not like us like just just based on how Mm -hmm. it has been talked about didn't didn't the buddha have a prominent dream as well i feel like he had it like when he was siddhartha like that's why he left
1: i know in one story this isn't um the buddha's story this is a not very historically accurate uh recounting of the buddha's life by herman hesse but he has a he has a dream in that siddhartha it's a good book um it That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's not historically accurate, and it mixes up Hinduism and Buddhism, but it's a good book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I actually really do recommend it. Um, Yeah. But there's a dream in that. That's probably what we're thinking of.
0: I think so, yeah. So... Anyway, clearly he was inspired by Christian (laughs) dreams.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So... Is a a mystical experience, is that always an altered state of consciousness, but an altered state of consciousness is not necessarily always mystical?
0: I think so, yes, based on my understanding. Because you don't have to have religious experience when you're having an altered state of consciousness necessarily.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Because like we said, if we can define a runner's high as an altered state of consciousness, is that a religious experience? That being said, some people would say yes. Some people
1: would say yeah.
0: I have seen like arguments like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say no, but I also wouldn't say yes. Like mm-hmm. I think that having a runner's side does not have to be a religious experience. The people who would say that it's a religious experience would probably say that all, all altered states of consciousness are religious experience.
1: Or they just really like sports and exercise.
0: Or they're really into sports. Yeah. I think we should move on to the last point. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of my biggest examples, obviously, of altered states of consciousness is the mystery cults in ancient Greece. Um, So obviously this is my biggest example because I wrote a whole massive, giant, master's research paper on it. So um, basically, if you look at a lot of the writings, I used a lot of, like Plato wrote a lot about it. Aristotle did a little bit. um, And then there's other like, A lot of Christian writings, um, like early Christians, wrote a bit about this as well, Um, as well as Euripides' play, The Bacchae. So all of these talk about the cult of Dionysus um, or the cult of uh, Bacchus. Same thing, Roman name versus Greek name. Um, They would kind of go off into the woods. Typically, like it was usually a lot of women, but men would also go as well. And they'd dance and get drunk and go into these frenzied states. Um, Plato often talked about how that was the gods coming into them and, like, punishing them for something. And the only way to redeem themselves to the gods was to dance for them. Um, And that's how they would come out of their manic state. So it was almost like a healing thing, um, was to go and, like, dance and stuff. But because they would often be seen in these trance-like states, which, as I said, based on Rouget's definition, like, that was scary. Like, people looked out of their minds in those states, like, especially if they were starting to, like, foam at the mouth and stuff. Um, But usually they were also in an altered state, so, like, you weren't talking to these people because you couldn't. Like, their eyes were glazed over. They were experiencing something completely different. So because of this they were often seen as, like, these barbaric creatures and, like, these terrible, like, hedonist, like, crazy people that you should not trust. Um, and so this was really, like, prior to Christianity, the cult of Dionysus was one of the, like, most widespread cults. Um, so there was, like, a bunch of different cults depending on, like, the different gods and, like, the different regions you were in. But the cult of Dionysus was one of the ones, like, it spread from, like, England, like, what we know as, like, England to Egypt, pretty much. Um, There was different variations of these cults, um, but they all had very similar practices because it would spread. Um, And again, it was either called the Cult of Bacchus, so B-A-C-C-H-U-S, or the Cult of Dionysus. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were also kind of seen as one of the biggest threats to Christianity expanding, So part of kind of the rise of the Christian empire was to brand these cults as being crazy and hedonistic and barbarian, and you shouldn't trust them because they were dangerous. If you look at a lot of um, early Christian writing, a lot of it talks about these cults using words like barbarians, hedonists, um, manic, madness, crazy you know, just, um, and basically saying that everything that they were doing was absolutely terrible and it was dangerous. Um, so not only were they kind of branding them as like out of their mind, they were also saying that because of this, it meant that they were dangerous. Um, and so it became illegal to practice, um, these things. So when they were, would eventually like keep going out to the woods and do this quite often, they were arrested and, either killed or put in jail, etc. Well, Like alongside this, this kind of created this whole thing in Christianity about what things were considered okay. Um, and what I looked at specifically was what music was considered okay in early Christian circles. So I, I based all of this off of early Christian writers and, and a little bit of um, in the Bible as well. But basically it was, you know, percussive instruments were terrible. You should never have percussive instruments because that inspires dancing. Um, and that's what they wrote. Like it was like, if you have percussive instruments, people are going to dance and then they're going to go mad because the backends did it.
1: Interesting.
0: <laughs> so yeah. Um, or like it inspires you to get drunk and drink because the cult of Dionysus would quite frequently always be drunk because Dionysus was the god of wine. And wine is good, so, like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) So they also, it had a lot to do with, like, they talked more specifically about, like, what harmonies were considered bad um, and, like, dissonance and, like, what kind of things were, like, signifying of like, this madness and craziness. Mm -hmm. And so what I find really interesting about this and what I want to talk a little bit about more before we sign off is this idea of, like, viewing a religious experience as being crazy because this was not the first time this happened. It was not the last time it happened. You see so often that people who are in these states are branded as being crazy or mad or out of their mind and dangerous because they're in this altered state of consciousness and well granted like i think that that's also how we talk about these illegal drugs because sometimes it can be dangerous because sometimes people do get out of their mind and they think god tells them to kill somebody so like i do understand that it's a bit of a fine line to walk but then like what does that mean for you know when it's not a dangerous thing so for example um, even within the Christian church, the idea of speaking in tongues is such a, like, iffy subject, because some people think, like, it's fake, these people are crazy, they're doing it for attention and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, within the Christian church, even. But then from the outside, like, it's even worse, right? Because it's like, well, how is that authentic? You know, like, if you don't believe in this, like, how can you understand it as being authentic? And so I think that can be, like, very detrimental to how these religious experiences happen and then like i was saying this affects group cohesion so how does that affect the group because like when the christians decided that the cult of dionysus was dangerous it broke apart that group which ultimately helped christianity because they kind of stepped in as like the rational religion they were able to take over a little bit more but you know like if that keeps happening like what's going to happen to these religious traditions you know
1: yeah What do you know what specifically the church's problem was with the cult? Was it because it wasn't like rational, or was it hedonistic and therefore sinful, or was it because they were worshiping other gods, or was it, you know, all of the above?
0: Well, or was it superiority of what the Christians were saying or what they were doing? Hmm. So, uh, there's a lot of evidence to say that, like. It was partly strategic because, again, like Christianity wanted to be the main religion Mm -hmm. of the area. Um, And so breaking apart the cult of Dionysus was in their favor, like it helped them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The stories that they talked about, like if you look at, um, oh, geez, is it Livy? One of the Roman writers, um, like early Christian Roman writers, like the things that he says about he calls them the backhands because he was um, Roman. But the things he says about like the backhands, the cult of Dionysus, were terrible. Like The things he wrote were basically like, these people are going to like kill your children. Um, and that wasn't true at all. Mm-hmm. There was no evidence that that was true, except for what Livy wrote. Um, every other evidence points to the fact that these people were harmless. They were completely harmless. Um, so, so I think that there's definitely the element of like, trying to just tear apart this religious group. Um, and then I'm sure that, you know, that was the strategy from maybe some high-up officials. Yeah. But then the actual practitioners of Christianity probably weren't going around being like, let's destroy these people's culture. Um, They were probably, like most Christians today, were probably like, oh, this is just the right thing to do because we're right and we want to save you. Yeah. So I think it's, like, a little bit of both, right? Because I think, like, you know, I, I always... I struggle when people are like, all Christians are bad. Um, and I think it applies back then, too, because it's like, no, like, a lot of these people legitimately just, like, they believe that they're doing the best authentic thing to save humanity, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's, like, a little bit of both, where, like, obviously you have somebody at the top strategizing this and, like, putting this in play. Yeah. Uh, but then you have everyone else perpetuating it, right?
1: Yeah. So it, like, serves it serves the church to frame them as crazy And it delegitimizes them and also makes them kind of, uh, what's
0: the word I'm looking for? I guess scary. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, okay, controversial question. I'm hitting us with a controversial question. You're going to hate me for this, but Uh do you think that that's what maybe unintentionally but do you think that's what non-religious people do to religious people?
1: What, like frame them as crazy so as to delegitimize them?
0: Yeah. I know okay, it's a controversial question. Let me like talk this out a little bit because I think that it, it's super complex because obviously religions have done terrible things to people. And I'm not trying to take that away. And so I'm not saying that, like, when people call out religions for being bad, that they're trying to, like, tear apart the religion and intentionally, like, ruin these people's lives so that they can take over and it's evil and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think that there is maybe some element to when you call something crazy and you delegitimize it, you gain the upper hand and you gain the power while you're slowly tearing down that person's power. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's controversial because I'm not saying that it's good or bad. Yes. It's it's just complicated, right?
1: I think that's a really good question. I think that's definitely, like, a strategy that some people use um, to delegitimize religious people and kind of, I guess i don't know either convert people to non-religion or like kind of take religious people off their platform like if they're crazy we don't want them to be in charge of things and Mm -hmm. whether it's you know religion or not um it's if they're crazy we we don't want them here um but i think that's Mm -hmm. probably definitely a strategy that some people use against religious people that's a good question
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting when you look at it from, like, a political viewpoint as well, because, like, even when the Christians were doing this to the cult of Dionysus, you know, forever ago, I don't even know, like, 2,000 years ago, um, it was, it it was partially a political game, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we've heard of, like, everyone knows Constantine brought Christianity to the world, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think part of it was political, especially because we we all do know as well that Constantine was just trying to create peace because he had all these, like, religious groups fighting. So he was like, yeah, Christianity then, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so part of it was, like, a political power play. Um, and it did dethrone the people who didn't believe in Christianity. And so on the flip side now, because I've also heard the argument that, like, um, I okay. To preface, I don't personally agree with this, (laughs) but I've heard the argument that, you know, politics has replaced religion. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, we prize the, like, good politician more than we prize, like, a religious leader. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting seeing that because we don't like religious people in politics anymore. Mm -hmm. And how we, like you said, deplatform these kind of people is by saying, like, well, they're too crazy. They don't have, like, logical, rational thought behind them. So... Like, because they're religious,
1: so mm-hmm. therefore
0: they can't be in power. You know? So, like, I think there's still, like, and then, you know, it's these other, like, politicians that come into power who are also crazy. Like, let's be real. Like, yeah. religion doesn't make you crazy. Being a politician makes you crazy. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> so, anyway, I think there's, like, a certain element of, like, Yeah. This this kind of like new agey non religion religion the religion of the non religion mm-hmm. does that make sense?
1: It does to Do me. Do you get what I'm saying? Like it, I get it. Yeah. Okay.
0: The the religion of the non religion is like yeah. dethroning religion now.
1: Yeah. The religion of the non religion is dethroning religion.
0: Yeah. You get it. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I know it's that's like probably more complex than we can really like talk about. I also don't want to make it seem like I don't know. I feel like we're verging on like the religion is being persecuted.
1: Oh, Christians are
0: more hard done by than everybody else in the world. And that's not what I'm trying to get at. No, Um, (laughs) no, that's yeah, that's not what I'm saying. And I feel like we're treading into that territory a little bit. Yeah, let's not go there. Let's not go there. I don't want to go there.
1: One thing that we mentioned before we started recording that might be fun to talk about is what is kind of colloquially known as the dancing plague. Um, I think this was in France in around medieval times. Mm-hmm. Basically
0: Yeah, I think it was like thirteen or fourteen hundred. Yeah.
1: Basically what happened was I don't remember what triggered it. Maybe it was music, but um people some people started dancing, and they found that they couldn't stop. And then the more people who were exposed to the dancing group, um, more people started dancing and joining them. And it started, it was kind of, like, catching, like, the plague. Like, more, more and more people started, started dancing, found they couldn't stop. People died from dancing. They, like, injured themselves. They, like, they wasted away because they couldn't stop it was like a sickness basically
0: uh, i heard that some people like collapse from exhaustion to yeah. the point like they were so exhausted that they died yeah
1: and then some people would yeah. like they wake up from their exhaustion and then they get back up and start dancing again um actually we could do a whole episode on this because there it'd be um, very interesting there is some religious precedents for this and i think uh they were thinking some somebody maybe prayed to a saint or something to stop it. I don't know. They're, it's a very mm-hmm. interesting topic. Um,
0: well, I think they also found that quite often um, these people would end up in churches. Yeah. From what I was reading as well. So, like, they would, they would be dancing and they would eventually make their way to, like, the, the churches nearby. Yeah. Which I think was also part of the weird thing that, like, people were just like – They thought, like, some people hypothesized that it was, like, a way to get more people to come to the church. Yeah. Like, out of curiosity. (laughs) Like, they thought it was some, like, weird, like, conspiracy. Um, I think also, didn't a bridge collapse because too many people were dancing on it? Yeah. I remember hearing about that. There was a a lot of weird stuff going on. It's, like, so many weird things. Yeah.
1: And basically, it was – it's kind of what is known as a mass psychogenic illness or like mass hysteria, um, which is kind of, it's like a physiological illness with a social trigger, I guess. Um, let me just make sure I'm getting that right. Um, yeah, so it's the rapid spread of Illness signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group, originating from a nervous system dis- disturbance, um, whereby physical complaint. Okay, this is way too. Uh, this is way too confusing. Wikipedia. It's basically an <laughs> an illness in which physical symptoms with no known physical cause are observed to affect a group of people as a form of social influence. So, like, basically, all these people who otherwise would not, you know, be considered, like, physically sick, they all kind of caught the same sickness and started dancing, couldn't stop, and this went on for a while, and, you know, a lot of people were hurt or died from it, um, and that is, I mean, I would argue that's definitely an altered state of consciousness, um, Definitely trance-like in some cases and with the religious uh, elements to the story that we could talk about in an episode, mystical too.
0: Yeah. What I find really interesting about this story is that, like, can you brand this as them being, like, I don't want to say crazy, but Mm -hmm. that's just what we've been saying, you know? Like, (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, this was, like, a a legitimate mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm slash physical illness like <laughs> it wasn't just like uh you know the Dionysian trance like state it it was like people were dying from this mm-hmm. and so like it's this really like interesting bridged gap here where it's like it wasn't just um like people would dance they'd have their altered state of consciousness they'd come out of it they'd go on about their lives so it was like yeah and how it spread as well seems yeah. to still match that kind of like group cohesion element and I don't know. I just, I remember because when I was pulling out like articles for um, my research and like just doing like the first like initial, like before you start your research, which is kind of like Google stuff, this came up all the time because Mm -hmm. it was like dancing and religion, you know? And so I thought it was just such a fascinating example of like this altered state of consciousness and like how different it can get, right?
1: Yeah. If you want to go on a a Wikipedia hunt at like 2 a.m., mass psychogenic illness is a good thing to get stuck on. This is just one of the examples of it. There is another, I think, where somebody was brought into the hospital um, with a certain set of symptoms with no known cause. Um, But They kind of, I think they smelled like garlic or something like that. And then the workers, some of the workers who were working on that person, uh, when they came in contact with the person, they also got the same set of symptoms. And some people died, but there was no physical cause for it. And then some people who hadn't come in physical contact with the person, but had just heard of it, also developed the symptoms uh and got sick too it's a very interesting phenomenon look into like it like
0: something out of a marvel movie right
1: it's so it's such i love it
0: <laughs> yeah
1: i like looking well, like, into now it.
0: like if something like that happened like right now i think everybody's first instinct will be like bio warfare because mm. like that's what it sounds like it sounds like someone's like released some weird yeah like brain altering substance into the air and yeah
1: yeah it's very interesting
0: Wow. I feel like we covered way too much on this episode. We talked about we a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that was the first 10. 10- okay, so when I was writing my, my master's research paper, I had my first, like, I was writing this section out basically of, like, the initial definitions of, like, what's trance, what's uh, like, frenzy, madness, how does this all fit in, altered states of consciousness, how does this all fit into what I'm talking about? And I realized it was, like, 30 pages of like our 50 page limit yeah I was like I gotta cut this down because I was like this isn't even my thesis like that's not what my topic is mm-hmm. <laughs> I just been so long like because there's so many interesting things to read about it as well because like we said you know everybody has their own definitions and observances of it and you can't necessarily like come to a conclusion because you cannot study someone who's having an altered state of consciousness. Like we've talked about this, right? Like as soon as you hook them up to a machine, they're probably going to come out of their state. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you study this? And how do you come to like definitive conclusions on something like this? Mm -hmm. You you can't. So like, there's so much interesting stuff to read about it. And like trying to figure out what like general consensuses are, like what everybody has observed versus like what people have only observed in certain situations and how did those differ? And yeah, it's fascinating yeah brain's weird man
1: brain's weird
0: (laughs) i mean should we title this episode the brain is weird
1: the brain is weird (laughs) people are weird everything's weird
0: oh you know what is it like your brain on drugs we should just be like your brain on drugs and then cross it out and put religion
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god figured it out we got it let's do it all
0: right Well, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, If you enjoyed it, um, please let us know. Uh, We accept reviews of all forum on iTunes. Um, If you listen to your podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever, uh, we accept really kind reviews in our email inbox. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you send a mean one there, it's going to make us cry.
1: Mm -hmm. Very
0: hard. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, check out past episodes, read transcripts of episodes, or just learn more about who we are. Uh, You can find out more at nearlynuminous.ca, or you can send us an email to nearlynuminous at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with a new episode. I think we won't be coming out with one every single week for a little bit because Jacqueline's going back to her PhD and probably not going to be able to help out.
1: She's abandoned us
0: she's abandoning us for bigger and um, so better wanna, things like, come and help us at yeah some more important things. <laughs> we're just ranting about and theorizing about religion she's actually doing something she's actually doing <laughs> something <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah hopefully uh you'll hear from us again soon won't be like four weeks again actually i think we've only missed two weeks
1: yeah we had a good excuse i was on vacation you were doing your actual human adult job
0: yeah, i don't know so why i said no, humans were also visiting well i also have a cat job and that's laying in the sun oh um, i do that a few hours a day too it's my cat <laughs> job as opposed to my human job
1: <laughs> i don't have either
0: anyway <laughs> we should go <laughs> <laughs>
1: thanks for listening everyone Bye. <laughs> bye
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Nearly Numinous. For full transcripts of every episode, check out nearlynuminous.ca. There, you can also find links to subscribe to us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Have a topic you'd like us to talk about, or would you like to be a guest on a future episode? Reach out to us at nearlynuminous at gmail.com. That's spelled N-E-A-R-L-Y-N-U-M-I-N-O-U-S at gmail.com.